0: Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs Tony Dudzik, Guardian. Jared Brandon, Brandon Wound, Pickups. Hey, everybody, it's me, Todd Novak. Welcome to the Guitar Knobs podcast. We are super thrilled that you are listening to our show with us right now, That's right. wherever you are. Imagine us with you. If you're in a really small car, imagine. That I'm in the front seat and somehow Jared and Tony are in the back. But we um, do have masks on. We do. They do have masks on. And then strapped to the roof of the car is is our is our new friend here. Who are you, new friend? Strapped to the roof of the car.
1: I'm Jesse Honig from Twenty Nine Pedals and Believable Audio.
0: Oh my goodness! I hope you brought a jacket because it's going you're gonna be up there a while tonight. Um, <laughs> we're really excited to have Jesse on the show tonight. Uh, he has created a very unique pedal that is if you if you uh if you your big toe wiggles every time something really fantastic comes out in the pedal world then you probably know what this is about and if you don't you're going to want to pay attention cuz this this could change this could change your guitar life maybe maybe wow. my my toe is wiggling your toe is wiggling Uh, so we're going to discuss a few things before we do uh, Jesse where can people go check this out uh, in case they happen to be just hanging out listening
1: Uh, if you go to believableaudio.com, that's our web store and you can find a lot of links there and if you go to at 29 pedals on Instagram that's where I usually hang out and you can contact me and stuff like that and there's a link tree in the Instagram profile that takes you to all the other places like YouTube and whatever that you might want to go
0: fantastic Um. All right, let's get going. Here we got a couple of announcements, real quick. We need to thank
2: Road Road mics
0: for providing our fantastic audio equipment, the Rodecaster Pro console and the Procaster mics, both doing their thing for a long time now, and we are awfully grateful to Road um for providing that to us. Uh, check them out for your audio needs, including you know everybody doing like YouTube videos and uh, little demos and stuff. They make fantastic audio um, uh, accoutrement for you <laughs> for your vi- for your right. video work. So uh, that, that's who you're going to want to check out. We also want to call to attention that we uh, we've got uh, we're, we're out on the YouTube right now. Oh, audio only, but we're there. We're there. And and Jared's got his show out there. Jared, what's that called really quick? Rewind Time with Brandon Wound Pickups. It's a very
3: very fun little short show. It won't take up much of your time and you just get to see before and after of pickups that are restored at my shop.
0: Right. That's very really fun. cool.
1: I'm hang on. I'm going to type that in right now.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of fun because it's Jared's big face right on there. Mostly, yeah. Not that, yeah, just not that you have that. a big face; it's just it's big because it's on the screen.
3: No, I really do have a big face and a big head. It's well, like uh, it
0: com- comparatively, back. you know. Y- yes, it,
3: it's
0: in scale. Yes, the
3: adjustable trucker hats that you buy.
0: Yeah, I can't wear any of them. You have to sew two together. Like you I probably do. have to zip two sleeping bags together. Actually, exactly. probably four
3: <laughs>
0: for length too. I hope not, but. There. <laughs> um, we also want to, uh, you know, occasionally we we get our friends and, our, and people that listen to the show and they send us the stuff and we read the stuff. And one of the stuff that we're going to uh, read tonight is um, from George Stritter. Jared, you know this gentleman. Yes, yeah. you do. Exactly. Of course I do. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he sent in his four on the floor. So I wanted to share that with everybody. Uh, George Stritter, uh, number one. The Crybaby GC-B95, all right, modded with PIO caps. Oh, oh. vintage spec transistors, but with Mm -hmm. the buffer left in, which Mm. drives the chain and cuts through with the neck pickup and gain. Mm. This guy Mm -hmm. knows his Mm -hmm. numbers and letters and and all that stuff. like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then we also have the analog man by course, uh, the great Andy Summers wash a bead to the badge side of the Leslie B section. All right. Mm.
1: Mm. I saw Andy Summers at a pho restaurant once and I was uh, too embarrassed to go up and tell him how much I like his playing. Really? Yeah, he lives here in LA and there's a pho restaurant that's really well known and I used to I used to live in that neighborhood and I went once and I was by myself and there he was by himself. Uh and uh sounds like a silver
0: lake kind of thing.
1: Yeah. He was eating though. I don't like interrupting people when they're eating, but it's like there it is, Andy Summers eating a bowl of pho. I got yeah. my bowl of pho. We're all good.
0: Uh I I had a similar thing. I was eating uh um, I, I was sitting next to a table at a table at the at a show and right next to me, backstage was um Noel Gallagher eating a sandwich and he's, he's one of my rock heroes. And I, and I couldn't say anything. I'm like, guy's eating a sandwich.
1: I can't. Todd, you know,
3: with you. right? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Jared was with me. That's right. That's right. Jared. I have a great story. If I could derail already, because you're really going to like this. I used to work at a big studio called the village here in LA. It's where they did Tusk and they did some Steely Dan records. and They did the chronic there. It's really well-known old studio. And I worked there for a bit uh, in the tech shop. And there was this one time where uh, some digital company that will remain nameless because I don't know how the deal ended up going, was trying to convince um, the Edge to replace his big rig that he tours with. You know, he's one of the the guys who tours with all the stuff, like the Harvard that you see on stage with him is the Harvard that he's had since they recorded that record in 1983 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And he brings all that stuff and he's really superstitious about it. So he doesn't like his tech to repair anything or mod anything um, because everything has to be exactly right. Exactly original. He's just, you know, very specific about it Mm -hmm. anyway. So this digital company wanted to sell him on one of their modeling rigs. And one of the great things about working in a place like the village is in order to pitch this to him, they booked out studio D, which is the big, nice studio where they did Tusk. They booked out studio D for like two weeks and they got edge and um, his tech, who's amazing, um, uh, uh, Dallas and Bob Bradshaw, to come in and like set up Edge's rig and tweak it all out, like they were doing a big concert, except they just did it in the studio I worked at. So I got to hang out with them <laughs> and um, work on the rig. And then the they did that for like a week. And then the modeling software people came in and got to like sweep all his pedals and look at all his presets and go through all the Bradshaw rig stuff and make notes about everything. And then they went home and they built out their um, profile. And then we all sat around Studio D, like ABAB, you know, which sounds better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked really closely with Dallas and Bradshaw on setting it up and stuff. And it was really, really fun. I got to build guitar cables for Edge. So like, you know, he had a cable harness that went bad and I was working in the tech shop. So Dallas walked in, he was like, can you rebuild, you know, a new guitar harness, guitar cable harness for Edge? Um, And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, no problem. So I was building all these cables, and I didn't get to meet Edge because he only came in at the very end. And, there, you know, obviously, you know, he everybody wants to meet him, so he has to be a little private by nature. But you know how when you order lunch at, a like, a takeout restaurant, like, if you guys were going to order lunch, you know, the runner would go and they would write Todd on one and Jared on one and Tony on the other. So I went up to the break room one day after a long day of work uh, just to eat my lunch and in the trash there was like a styrofoam sandwich container on which had been written edge. us <laughs> out. <"Tunis laughs> That's <Ali."> awesome. <laughs> Tell took, me you kept that. <laughs> I wish I would have kept, I took a photo of it. I have a photo of it somewhere. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, Dallas is so cool. And um, Bradshaw is amazing. Like I learned more from Bradshaw in five minutes when he wasn't even really talking to me about anything. He was just like doing something and I was watching him. I mean, that guy's amazing. he, I, I don't think he gets enough credit anymore. Like, the you know, in the big 80s when everybody was touring and in the big 90s when everybody had big rigs and stuff like that, everybody knew Bradshaw. Everybody knew the Bradshaw rig was the thing that you wanted. And, like, there's all these products on the market that are kind of derived from Bob's work. Um, you know, um, similar to Pete Cornish. It's like Pete Cornish and Bob Bradshaw, like, really – Updated and modernized how guitar rigs worked for people, and they don't really get enough like name checking anymore. Even though so much of what we do is derived from their work, mm. you know, like um, you think about it, like even UNA, right? The concept of UNA, you know, like an input driver to drive your rig, that's the pedal we're going to talk people, about later. But, yeah, it's like oh, like I mean, Pete Cornish and Bob Bradshaw basically identified that problem years ago and had complicated solutions to it and simple solutions to it. And I'm, I have my own little version of it now that, you know, Mm -hmm. is its own thing, but we derive so much from those guys and they don't get enough credit. So. Well, 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 thank
0: you for pointing that out and, and reminding us.
1: Yeah. It's like, I mean, Bob Bradshaw is cool. Pete Cornish is cool. <laughs> That's
0: all you had to say, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And also it, I saw Edge's sandwich container once and it made my day. That's so, fantastic. I love and that. And you may still be using guitar cables that I made. I don't know how long those harnesses last and it was a few years ago now.
0: Well, you should call him up and make him some new ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's finish up uh, George Sturgeon. That was a great segue. That was fun. Thank you. <laughs> We love Thanks. taking the side alleys down places. Uh, so after after George Stritter's analog uh, man bike chorus, he's got the DOD 670 flanger. He says mm-hmm. it has to have a hardwired power cable. Great with uh, mm-hmm. the regen cranked. Makes his guitar sound like it's puking notes on the downswing. <laughs> Okie yeah. dokie. Also, the Mojo Hand Nebula 4 phaser. Does the MXR script logo phase 45 thing without the cork sniffer price tag? Oh yeah. Yeah. George Stritter, very colorful uh, writing there.
1: Can I say something that I think is maybe a controversial statement? Do it. Uh, As a, as a part-time wine connoisseur. sniffing corks is awesome. Like anytime (laughs) people want to say like cork sniffer is always a term we use when people get too crazy about the details, but like, I got to tell you, you know, when a, when a sommelier guides you through like how to sniff the cork and how that affects how you perceive the flavor of the wine mm-hmm. it really does actually make a big difference. And, and sniffing corks is a great hobby.
2: <laughs> Have you ever tried chewing the cork?
1: Uh, no. Is that a thing? Do that next time. I will do that. And then uh, <laughs> and we'll see if you're making fun of me on the internet. <laughs> All right, Tony. <laughs> I told this guy
0: to chew the cork and he did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very homeward thing to do. And he did it. (laughs) He did it. Okay. So uh, thank you, George Strider, for sending that in. And for uh, Jesse taking us down a couple of alleys, that's super fun. Had a good time. Get ready. Yeah. We need to talk about what's going on in our music world this week, gentlemen. We're going to just find out a little bit of, you know, beyond the things that that we're, you know, building and stuff like that on a normal basis. What else have we been doing? Tony's going to kick us off, and then we're going to hear from Jesse ah okay so
2: so this week i am in the process of making some new uh guitar racks in my basement um i'm trying to take advantage of some space that i have in the in the basement and it's kind of underneath some ductwork and things like that so it's a great place to stash guitars um i've got a couple racks down there now but they're kind of in the way so i came up with this um I'm trying to, I mean, I, I know how to work with wood, but I, I, I still like to simplify things. And basically, the other designs are, you know, kind of basically plywood and two by four platforms that are mounted together. Well, this one I'm going to do, um, uh, it'll be eight foot long uh, and two feet wide. and Soft as a th- downy chick. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, again, that's, you know, I can get, you know, the lumber and everything, uh, plywood cut down at, at Lowe's or Menards, wherever I happen to be at that day. And, you know, basically just chop up some two by fours and build these racks. And by my calculations, um, I, I'll be able to put these kind of like head to head and uh, on fender style cases because uh, there'll be three shelves I should be able to fit 15 fender style cases and then you know larger size cases uh, things like Gretches and acoustics I should be able to get 12 on the other side so uh, by my calculations I should be able to fit at least uh, 27 guitars
0: oh that's a the- real big problem oh. you have. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tony if you want to design stand-up racks you know for guitars out of cases I would love to hear what you come up with for that because I have one that I made and I have one of the kind of crummy tubular um, piping ones mm-hmm. and because I have like 40 guitars mm-hmm. laying around and I like to keep them all out of cases even though there's things that are bad about doing that because otherwise I I tried keeping them in cases and I just never took any of them out. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm like fun. a really out of sight, out of mind person. So, um, I have to keep them all out and my racks are only so good. I would love to have something cooler. Yeah. So they're working on it. Let me know.
2: Yeah. I mean, well the, but the problem, I mean, I, I actually, I'm a proponent of keeping guitars outside of cases because hmm. a lot of times bad things can happen when they're inside a shop. cases. Oh my God. Shh. <laughs> sh- sh- don't talk. Um, but, um, it, it, that that's cool, but you still need a place to put the cases. And I'm off yeah, yeah, you know. So it's it's kind of this this storage issue, and whether it's you know at, at my shop or here at, the, at home in the basement, uh, you got gotta fit the stuff somewhere. So I put mine <laughs> in the
0: guest house. So.
2: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Maybe I'll just build a guest house. Yes, do that. that.
0: Do that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God. These cases are taking up too much of my valuable space. All right. uh, Let's see. Jesse, what's going on with you?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I was telling you guys a little earlier before we started, I'm working on a... uh, um, a shielding project for a buddy of mine, uh, trying to investigate whether you can basically build like a Faraday baffle that's shielded to your amp, uh, and get any, you know, meaningful amount of reduction, uh, in, in sort of single coil hum, just as like a fun little holiday project for myself, um, to do that. I'm working on, I mean, I'm working on so much stuff. I could, um, like I just reset up my rig so that I can have like all six of my favorite amps kind of next to each other. Uh, And so I have to build myself a kind of switching device to switch between them. And I just don't like any of the ones that are available on the market. I don't know if I'll ever come out with one as a product. I'll probably just build one for myself. Cause I have like, um, uh, you know, you want to be plugged right into the amp if you can and bypass all the other stuff. But that means when you build a switching device, you need to, like, lift the grounds as well as you go so that, like, the one I have currently is a big rotary switch, and it's a dual-pole switch. So as you're selecting an amp, you're selecting the ground um, and the signal so they're not all grounded together. So you don't oh. get ground and things like that. But that means that it's only so useful when you want to have more than one amp on at a time. And so, like, I'm I'm redoing that. Um I mean, I'm finishing up some other little designs and fun things. I was just doing some repair on a friend of mine's, um, Gretch. I, you know, I'm starting to go down a pip, a pickup rabbit hole again, mm. because, um, I'm a contrarian by nature. And so I don't like to be the, um, I, I enjoy finding like outsider things that are really, really cool. So, you know, I don't have any PAFs or any real gold foils, but I have like tons of other weird old harmony, you know, Hershey bar pickups and things that were basically made the same way as gold foils, but they don't have the same kind of, um, piece of gold foil in them. And so that's people, just cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this old, if you ever see those old Tesco tulip guitars, they had, there was a certain era of them that had these really wide flat, pickups that sound amazing and i did some repair work for john bryan once and he had a guy lg60 at uh, the ones that are the black and gold pickups and those things sound amazing and they're really like low flat coil um and basically yeah, i yeah. have some guitars sitting around um that have like mediocre pickups in them that i've always kind of enjoyed for one reason or another and i'm just starting to go down a rabbit hole of like am i a guy who's going to start winding his own pickups you know can i find boutique pickups to buy that aren't completely insane but they're also customizable you know because i don't tend to like what other people like i want like unpotted coils i want them underwound you know like uh, stuff that sometimes makes you know people who've developed their own sound with pickups you know they want to they want to sell their thing that they made they don't want to necessarily make the thing that i made or that i want you know i because i get um a lot of requests to customize things And I always tell people like, hey man, if you want to customize the thing I made for you, I'm so in favor of that. You should get out your soldering iron. I'll tell you what parts to change. I'll help you find the sound you want to find. But like, it can't be my job to custom build everybody's thing because that's right. actually incredibly expensive, you know, and for pickup winders, it's the same thing. People are always calling them, and they're like, well, I want, I want half of the coil to be scatter wound. And then I want the rest to be machine, you know, to be, um, same wind. And, you know, everybody's got these crazy ideas about what they think would sound cool and they may be right. Um, but it can be really complicated for a maker to like actually make it all. So whenever I start to have custom requests for things, I always think to myself, like, you know, rather than be a, you know, pain in somebody's butt constantly begging them to make what I think they should make. Why don't I just get a winder, start winding my own pickups, you know, the materials are all available, but then it's just one more thing to get good at. Cause people who are really good at winding coils, you know, there's a lot of mystery to it, like the wire tension and the wire gauge and you know, what, how full can a bobbin be? And do you have to, you know, all this stuff. I don't know if I have time in my life to get good at that. <laughs> No, you don't. It's all, it's all
0: winder. Fortunately, you have the energy and clearly the brains to get to all the things.
1: I'm trying. I mean, I just love to build stuff. It's funny because you're like, oh, what projects are you working on? And I'm kind of like, I mean. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I have this little studio under our house where I work and I'm in here like 18 hours a day. And right. when I do go upstairs, I bring a notebook and I have sketches. And so there's like. 12 product ideas and but then also just little one-off things I'm going to build for myself because sometimes you want to build something for yourself even though it's never going to be a product you know like a little switcher or something like that and you know it sounds like you have
0: a house on top of your studio that you live in (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) Jared what do you have going on
3: nothing (laughs) (laughs) um actually I am going to talk about my shop, um, but I'm not going to talk about pickups. Uh, my shop is filthy, and if you watch the rewind time with Brandon while pickups, you'll just see how much uh, filthiness. And and I don't mean like mold and dirt. I mean, I'm talking about little tiny parts, just billions of little tiny unorganized parts everywhere in the shop. I mean, I'm it's like 15 years of you know, these screws go to this model from this year and I put them in a bin and I've got all these teeny tiny little bins full of little parts from, you know, I don't even remember anymore what half the stuff is. So, uh, Zach and I started to clean out the shop today. Awesome. yeah, wow. Good That's job. Awesome. Yeah. So I, it's like, uh, you just, you, you find a big, but I'm, I need to throw away things, even if I think there's value to it because there's more value to real estate than there is having mm-hmm. the thing that I'm never mm-hmm. going to use.
0: I think the but, first I, time I, I came over there to to see your shop, Jared, when Jeff, uh, who was one of the original guys on the show, I came over there, I think I actually offered to like help you clean up.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how Jared, audacious was that? I can stick around and help you clean this up, <laughs> Jared. I think you should have a spinoff podcast called organizing your life when you have a lot of stuff because (laughs) i feel like the way that people tell you to get organized now is to just get rid of stuff and that's not always an option for people like us like i used to work for a guy um who bought and sold vintage guitars and he dealt in like you know vintage correct like he dealt in specific items like you know original guitars but then he also dealt in like parts guitars where you know people go to the pains of like finding the date codes on the pot and you know date codes on the neck and building themselves you know a 62 strat that never existed out of the parts that they're able to get and that guy absolutely did need to have like this set of screw you know these 440 quarter inch screws are different than these 440 quarter inch screws because one of them is from the 60s and one of them isn't so like M- means and strategies for organizing your life when you have to, you know, keep 400 different kind of bobbin around, you know, it, mm-hmm. I would, I would listen to that all day. <laughs>
3: it's, it's, it's a very hard, it's, it is very difficult to do. It really yeah.
1: is. Cause it's
3: you get, if you throw, if you throw away something, you think you'll need it next week.
1: <laughs> oh man. It's one of the reasons I started designing and building new gear as opposed to, cause I used to just repair vintage gear and I used to restore consoles. And like I said, I worked at the village, uh, as a tech and you know, the kind of stuff you have to keep around when your job is repairing things is insane. And, you know, building new stuff is much easier on inventory because, you know, you buy the stuff, you need to make the stuff and then it gets made and then it goes away. You don't really worry about it. But like, oh, you know, this is, the, this is the washer that you can't get anymore because it's like a half metric that was put in an original 1073. And if you don't have this, the switch is never going to seat right. And it's like, so I got to keep 400 of those around till the day I die? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you should put that in my guest house. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, th- you, well this week uh, I have something really exciting happen. I got to – we uh, released a single – to follow up our album on Spotify. Mm. It was for a tribute to the New Bomb Turks, and it's called Pretty Lightning. And mm. I'm pretty pretty excited about it. It's, I'm going nice. to put
1: that on my list to check out. That sounds really cool.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, the band is called The Villantinos. There, I'll plug it. The Villantinos. And so, yeah, it was super-duper fun to, to do, and we're thrilled to be uh, asked. We got the title, or the first track, not the title track, but we got the first track on the actual tribute album, which you can get on Bandcamp, called Straight Scared, a tribute to the New Bomb Turks. So anyways, cool. if you like fun music and loud music, that's the ticket, baby. One, two, one, two, three, four on the
2: floor. Hey, Jared. Yes, Tony Baloney. I got a call from The Edge just the other day, and he needed some really cool cables for his Bradshaw board. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you have any recommendations? Yes. Tour gear.
3: Tour gear? You mean tour gear designs? Exactly. Tour Uh, gear designs. And their cables are small. They fit in any jack configuration where they, you know, where the jack is on the box on your pedal, and they're very durable, and they're under six dollars a piece. Um, they st- that's where they start out at. They're under six bucks. I'd heard that they start out
2: at about five dollars and fifty some cents. Yeah.
0: Right about there,
3: if you want to be exact.
0: Said said an innocent bystander.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, seriously, I, I have a bunch of those for my pedal board, and they I are. I do too,
1: actually.
0: They're, they're fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. So uh, Innocent Bystander is going to cut in and get to the business end of this ad. Uh, we love tour gear designs and we honestly, we, we all have them on our board. Everybody on the show right now has them on their board. That's Because we believe they're really, really good. And they're very flat. Very flat and very small. And they're made by very cool people who have also been on the show. So check out that episode. Mm -hmm. You can go to tourgeardesigns.com forward slash discounts forward slash the guitar knobs. And you're going to save 10% on your entire order. That's 10%? That's 10% 10% on your entire order. And you're going to want to get a, a bunch of them. They come in all kinds of different sizes. They're fantastic. Tourguitardesigns.com forward slash discounts forward slash the guitar knobs. And you are going to be in patch cable heaven. Jesse. Yeah. I cannot wait to hear what four on the floor oh, you're wow. going to drop on us right
1: now. I mean, um, okay. So, uh, without putting any of my own stuff on the board, um, uh, I want to cheat a little bit. <laughs> and can I say for the first pedal that I want a DIY single JFET boost pedal? Because I have one on my board and in truth I did make it, but it's not like a product that I make. It's, you know, the old LPB1 design but with a FET in it instead. Okay. And it, it it was originally a thing called a Tillman boost the first time that this circuit was widely published was Called a Tillman boost, and tons of people make versions of it. And there's little tweaks that everybody has. And it's a really, really great sounding little circuit because it's kind of like both clean and dirty at the same time. And I'm, as you can tell from the products I make, I'm a really strong con- uh, uh, enthusiast for having an impedance converter at the beginning of your chain. And so, like a single JFET boost without naming names of any brands because you could build one yourself or mm-hmm. you could get an Electro Harmonics one or you could get, you know, uh, any number of cool people make this thing. Um, so that would be my number one. Is okay. That that's number that's one? totally acceptable. Okay. Now, um, uh, second one is I recently made uh, friends with Chris Vincent from R2R um, who makes... Um, period correct, uh, fuzz pedals and, um, treble boosters. And I just really like his work cause it's kind of like, um, you know, I'm a person who's afraid of new old stock components and I'm afraid of like, um, uh, uh, things having to be vintage correct because I know how hard it is to do. And so I'm very much like a person who uses new parts and designs things that other people don't make so that, um, you know, I can just be my own little world and I don't have to worry about people going like, Oh, well, does this fuzz sound better than that fuzz when they're both, you know, essentially the same circuit. Mm -hmm. And so I really respect and admire what Chris does because he basically makes the ones that I think are, um, the coolest. And, uh, we swap pedals and he gave me one of his fuzzes and it is just like, it is just the best. It's everything I like about those old fuzz pedals without being like, um, you know, like, he's uh, he he builds them all individually, hand, uh, you know, one at a time, and he matches the components to each other, and he just does all this stuff that I would never take the time to do, and I really, really admire it, and it sounds amazing. I mean, it's basically, you know, simple fuzz design, but he's really done a great job of, like, um, you know, sourcing old parts and, and making sure they all work and balancing them together so that, you know, he's not just batching his his transistors once he's batching them several times because he's also batching old resistors, which is the most terrifying thing I could imagine. Mm -hmm. And so he's batching old resistors and batching old transistors and then building these really unique little pieces that are all kind of inspired by these vintage designs, Mm -hmm. but not trying necessarily to, you know, recreate it exactly. And he's really turning it into his own thing, which I think is something every builder should aspire to is like, you know, I never want to be a person who just makes uh, something else, you know? And I think he's really doing that, like, new old stock, period, correct, but unique design kind of thing mm-hmm. really, really well. And everybody I know who has one of his pedals absolutely loves it. And so, since you got to have a fuzz on the board, it's got to be one of Chris's.
0: All right. It's number two. We'll
1: take that. And then I'm definitely going to be
0: checking this out, too, because he's got something that um, I've been amazing. wanting for a while, so.
1: Yeah, and he's a really great guy, and he really, really cares about what he does, which is always, you know, it's easy to support people who are so passionate about what they do. And, you know, him and I just, like, talked for hours one night about, like, building stuff and the different ways to build stuff. And, you know, my, my approach is definitely like use new components that are easy to source and design for manufacturing and make something that's like incredibly robust and rugged um, that is easy to repair. Cause I used to be a service person and, you know, his thing is like scouring the earth for these ancient components that have been scoured by, you know, hundreds of scourers before him, finding the ones that work, batching all these old resistors, taking old pieces of gear apart so we can get some of these parts that you can't get, you know, like I I consider him to be a person of equal passion to my own with a different set of, you know, criteria plugged into his, um, passion device. Mm -hmm. And so I really respect and admire him for that. I can't say enough nice things about that guy.
0: Fantastic. Well, we might have to get him on the show.
1: He's really cool. He's fun to talk to Number three, and number four, I'm a bit embarrassed about because I feel like they're super boring. But I got to say, a pedal I always come back to, and I have like two of them, I have three of them here at the shop, ones I either made myself or ones that are um, original, but I always come back to a Big Muff. I can't. I can't get away from them. I, I don't even play music that really sits well with a Big Muff sometimes. Like my playing doesn't work with it. But there's something about turning on a Big Muff that makes me love everything about the moment that I'm in. Yeah. Everybody likes a big muff. Yeah. And like the thought of living my life, if I really did have to have only four pedals forever, the thought of living my life without a big muff, like brings a bit of a tear to my eye. I don't know if I (laughs) could do it. And then the fourth pedal is equally boring for the same reason, which is like a, a memory man, you know, like, it's, it's funny, like I don't really actually use them very much, but the thought of being without them mm-hmm. makes me sad. I have a big old memory man and a big old Big Muff on my board, and I don't know if I could live without them. And I wanted to say cooler things and, and more unique and interesting things, and when it really came down to it, I was like, you got to be honest about stuff like this when people say, what could you really not live without? And I'm like, I don't know if I could live without a Big Muff and a memory man. It just brings joy to my heart.
0: I like that. I like that. Someone with conviction, man. You got to have a point of view in life, you know?
1: You're right. Yeah. I mean, I can, because also I swap out other things all the time. I'm constantly swapping things in and out of my board, moving where things are. And I have so many cool things from other modern makers that I would love to like call out and, you know, talk about. Some of them have been on your show already, and some of them have yet to be on your show. And there are so many super cool things being made by so many super cool people that I feel embarrassed calling out you know, a big name brand from two of my four, but I was just trying to be honest about what I actually like, you know, when I, when I turn on pedals just to bring myself joy, it's those two. And you know, that's just where it's at. Awesome. But I can talk about lots of unique, cool stuff. If you want to talk about unique, We have a
3: lot of guitar builders on our show, but I love my Gibson Les Pauls. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. go. I'll help you out. Yeah. (laughs) it's the same concept right?
1: yeah yeah yeah. exactly i mean it's like i have you know of all those guitars i told you i have uh, n- there's not a single guitar that is stock everything has been modified or built from a kit with one exception and that's my rick 330 which i am you know endeavoring to never mod um and just leave it stock because it's it's it just brings me joy that it's that it's the way it came from the factory even yep. if like i have been eyeing some new pickups for it. You know, there's a couple people who make really great toasters that are out there. Um, but I'm like, you know, it's the only guitar in the collection that's stock. And I think it's important to like, you know, when an object really does bring you joy in that way, just to like let it exist. Cause some of my other guitars are just like, I've been Frankensteining them once a year for 25 years. And they're, they're like falling apart at this point. I have an old Aspen. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, It's basically a Les Paul um, design, but it's double cutaway, but not like a flat top Les Paul DC. It's like, you know, like a carved top Les Paul with two cutaways. I think it came out of the Ibanez factory. So a guitar historian could correct me on that. But it's an old Aspen from the 70s. And I've done so much to it. I've changed the pickups 20 times, I've changed the electronics. More than that, I drilled holes in the body. I changed out some of the fret markers. I put <laughs> I put tuners on it five different times. I put a Bigsby on it. I took the Bigsby off. I put a different brand of tremolo on it. I took that off. I put the Bigsby back on. You know, like all my guitars are like that. And it's always hilarious when people like hear that I have a lot of guitars and they assume that they're all going to be like 62 strats or perfect vintage correct things. And there's not a single one. <laughs> you know there's that every everything came to me because it was broken or nobody else wanted it for some other reason and i turned it into something that could you know do something and i like,
3: I like that <laughs> <laughs> i've you got to be like that myself
1: yeah yeah i'm just looking over at the rack now and it's like it's hilarious i wish I, w- I can't wait till like uh, we can all hang out in person again. Cause next time you guys have to come to LA for NAM or whatever, you just need to look at this little Frankenstein pile of weirdness. Cause we will
0: 1 million percent do that. It is, it is crazy.
1: Yeah. S-
0: speaking of your place and building things and uh, not being able to leave anything alone. Um, <laughs> I can't. You, control. you are in, pretty much a lot of our guitar community's purview right now as a result of your main offering, which is the 29 Pedals Mm Euna. E-U-N-A. It is a deliciously odd and borderline brutishly handsome or ugly, depending on where the light might be hitting it.
1: You, you could be describing me personally, at
0: point. <laughs> um, machine, which is why I instantly fell in love with it. Not even having heard it, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I got to have that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the I don't know what it is part is really the the big thing behind this because dare I say you're not approaching this necessarily from a pedal builder standpoint. You your background in in uh, hi fi audio. I suspect yeah. is influencing well, yeah. this. Can you explain a little Hi-fi bit about this? Pro
1: audio. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of grew up working at recording studios and like, you know, almost as soon as I got involved in the music business when I was a teenager, you know, like everybody else, just playing in bands and recording on a four-track, I, I lucked into a job at a studio almost immediately. And then I basically like got passed up the chain, you know, from all the studios in Philly and all the producer engineer people and a lot of really great people had a lot of influence on me um and so I've been around that gear for a long time like you know classic vintage um audio like recording equipment for a long time and also I work for a brand now I I work for Manly Labs um that makes pro audio and hi-fi gear that is just incredibly high-end and um and so that is really close to my heart and I think um when I started repairing it is when I really, really fell in love with it because some of that stuff on the inside is gorgeous. And you can see like, you know, some of the jokes in the pro audio community are like all these classic brands are always going out of business and getting bought by someone else and then going out of business again. And what you see when you look at this classic equipment is that it was designed by engineers and built by engineers to be incredibly robust because, you know, music was the, was like the social currency of the day. So one of the reasons that gear is so great is because it was really important to people at the time. Music made people a lot of money. It made it had a lot of social impact. It brought people together from various communities. And so in that time, you know, you'd let engineers run away with a budget to make a product that barely made any money because it was so full of good components. And back then... Basically, everybody figured out what sounds good. Nothing that we're doing now is like a new version of what sounds good. We're just trying to figure out how to make it without going out of business. And in a lot of ways, like the reason old stuff is better than new stuff or people who believe that it is, one of the one of the ways you could um, make a case for that is that it was built not to a budget. You know, like a 1073 was not a product that was designed to hit a, a margin in any way. It was designed because they wanted the best mic pre what's the best mic pre you can come up with and it's like oh transformer in and out you know discrete op amp like all this great stuff that they put in there little tiny things that they did that cost a little bit extra money but that make it sound better and putting it all together in a really beautiful package of custom metalwork that's easy to work on and easy to mod um you know cuz all these classic console manufacturers looked at their offerings as a jumping off point for the in-house engineers of the studios. I've gotten a chance in my life as a repair person to see a lot of this original documentation. And you can see like every time someone bought a real Neve back in the 60s or 70s or a real API, you know, it came with a book of notes and the customer had had this request or that request. And the designer had put in this thing or that thing special because all these things were built, um, for institutions. And then 20, 30 years of techs have gone like, Oh, you know what? In our room, such and such is happening. And so we had to mod this to do that. Like we, we put this extra circuit in here. We took this circuit out and you find that the stuff is just built so amazing and so resilient. And that's why like, you know, 50, 60 years later you can pop open a 1073 and the thing looks brand new and you can replace it with components that you can buy at the store. And it's, Unstoppable! It's a, such a beautiful piece of gear. Mm. And so my design principle coming into the pedal world, you know, cause I've, I'm an enthusiast for guitars and guitar pedals, but I've always worked in the pro audio world and in the hi-fi world and building studios for people and things. And, um, So one thing I noticed, I used to tour doing front of house. And so, you know, because I'm a tech as well as an engineer, I was also tasked with like helping everybody get their rigs ready for tour. And one of the first things you notice, especially when you're touring, and I think this is where like we all owe a nod to Pete Cornish is like when you're touring um, having a really good impedance converter at the beginning of your pedal board solves tons of problems it solves just tons of issues you might have you know like the this is this that day or you have to stand 20 feet further away or you have to you know run extra wire because of this reason or the short cable broke or whatever you know i don't mind people making a case that they don't need one in a very specific situation that is fixed but if you're a person who has a board and you go around to gigs um and you have to deal with different rooms and sometimes different backline amps you know like having an impedance converter at the front of your rig solves tons of issues. Um, but the issue is that most of the ones that you can buy are kind of like totally not sexy in any way. And they're in fact, not generally designed to sound good. Lots of people make really simple buffers that you can use, um, around your pedal board. And in a lot of places, um, a conventional buffer is totally fine. You don't need a Yuna at every place in your chain that has a buffer. It'd be a bit of overkill. I mean, it would sound fantastic, but you don't need it there. Um, But one thing I learned from working on microphones is that if you're trying to improve an audio system, where you look to improve it first is the high impedance point. So, you know, the guitar, the electric guitar, the way most of us use it, it was designed, you know, in the forties and fifties. And it's a high impedance circuit that runs a wire that is much longer than it should, you know, like when Les Paul was trying to make everybody get into low impedance pickups, he's absolutely right. If you got into low impedance pickups and if all of our gear was built for low impedance pickups, that you'd have very, very few tone suck, quote unquote issues, you know, like ever wonder why you can't run your guitar 20 feet without tone suck, but you can run 200 feet of mic cable before you really notice anything, um, that, that qualifies as tone suck. Mm. Um, and it's because of the impedance of the circuit. So an impedance converter is a really great idea, but, um, most of them are designed as an afterthought. And so that high impedance point is really, really critical. You know, I don't know if, if you guys or any of your listeners ever work on old microphones, but on um, on microphone capsules, uh, especially large diaphragm condenser capsules, this is probably only really true for those, although I wouldn't be surprised if there was other examples. But that impedance point, right? So basically, in thinking about in terms of the guitar, the, pi- the capsule is your um, pickup, and the um, high impedance point on the FET or on the tube is the first pedal in your chain that impedance point in a microphone is so high that you have one gig-ohm resistor surrounding it, and every good builder lifts the legs of those two components off the trace. So like the FET doesn't go through the PCB and the microphone lead doesn't get soldered to the PCB. Um, That wire is as short as possible and it connects directly to that leg of the transistor or um, tube. And it's lifted off the board because that impedance point is so high that even the PCB substrate material acts like capacitance on it the same way cable capacitance works in a, um, in a, guitar um, circuit so to try to like condense this huge idea it's that that high impedance point is super critical and it's very much more affected than later in the chain so basically i had built some of these custom um like kind of cornish style but without as many of the bells and whistles as this has um, little standalone buffers that I was trying to get all these guitar players to use that I was touring with because it would solve a lot of problems in their rig. And the answer was always that like uh, buffers aren't sexy. It gets in the way of my fuzz pedal. Um, it doesn't sound good and all these kind of things. And so one day I just sat da- myself down and it was after I'd been working, you know, I, when I was a tech for a long time, I, um, I'd never worked in, product development or anything like that. And I got pinched by Stephen Slate. When I was working at the village, Stephen Slate got me to come work on his team to work on some of the product development stuff because um, his um, you know, his head of engineering, Erica, is a friend of mine. And she thought I might be able to help with some of the design stuff. And I found it really fascinating and basically just opening my eyes to the fact that I could design a product and I could bring it to market and I could do it the way I wanted to do it. I started this kind of process of um, teaching myself how to design PCBs because I'd only ever repaired them before, um, teaching myself to build schematics because I'd only ever read them out of a book before. And over a year or two, you know, three years maybe, I um, taught myself all those skills and I was ready to start designing my own stuff. Um, and the first thing I wanted to design was the first thing I wanted in the chain, which is basically a device which would replace a conventional buffer and was different enough that you couldn't really just call it a buffer because that word has is so loaded for a lot of people and everybody thinks they know what it means, but it doesn't necessarily mean what everyone thinks it means. So I said, I want this to be different enough from a conventional buffer that you couldn't call it that. So I basically designed a little amplifier circuit that made no gain, And I put everything into it that I had learned from years of being a tech, being an audio engineer, repairing vintage consoles, um, dealing with hi-fi people. um, Every little bit of superstition that I'd ever heard of, I tested out in there and I saw if it made a difference. And if it made a difference, it stayed. And if it didn't make a difference, I took it back out. Mm -hmm. So there's tricks I learned from David Bach. There's tricks I learned from Paul Wolf. There's tricks I learned from working on old Neves. And it basically is just like the summation of learning about what makes a circuit sound good the tiny transients in your audio signal are incredibly hard to measure and even harder to explain how they affect your perception of the sound. You know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and um, (laughs) and sniffing in the audio world about stuff. But again, there's often a grain of truth under it. You know, like we know film caps sound better than electrodes. So why don't we use film caps? Well, they're expensive and they only come in certain values. Okay. Well design a circuit that, uses those values, and then just brace yourself for how much it costs. is incredibly expensive to make when you consider that I'm going up against conventional buffers, which are essentially free to make. But it sounds better, it feels better, I think it does the thing that it's supposed to do, which is that it gives you the feel of being plugged right into your amp um, regardless of how much junk you have after it. Weird pedals that you might really love that kind of cause tone suck, well this just helps you out you know that's got that little handy insert loop because a really good friend of mine adam Zimman, um i was trying to pitch him on one of my older designs and he's a fuzz pedal enthusiast and he was like well the fuzz pedal has to go first and i said yeah but the high impedance point is super critical so at that point in your guitar circuit passing it through two extra jacks and one extra switch actually does make it sound worse it's very small but it is there so plugging into Unifirst steel box huge pcb trace short signal path will sound better than putting the fuzz pedal first even if it's true bypass Interesting. because that point in the signal is so critical i mean it's a small amount but if you're going to go for it go for it right mm-hmm. and so i put this insert loop in because the fuzz pedal since it has lower input impedance and the whole part of the fuzz pedal sound is that the input impedance is too low for the guitar and so it hangs on it and it causes that thick, syrupy sound that we all really like out of classic fuzz pedals. The fuzz pedal doesn't care about one inch of, you know, four ounce copper PCB trace. You know, if you're trying to get the brightest, most headroom, most noise-free sound you can, you know, the high impedance version of that does care. And so having the insert loop in Yuna rather than just having the fuzz pedal first in bypass does make a difference in my opinion you know if you took your old fuzz face and plugged it into your amp with a two inch cable it would be brighter than um, that fuzz face driving 20 feet of cable to your amp because um, of the loading of the circuit and most fuzz circuits aren't actually that good at driving a load Mm. so the way the fuzz pedal hits the next pedal in your chain so let's say you're a person who like loves an old fuzz face, and you run that into some sort of more medium overdrive because you like the way that sounds like a Red Llama or something like that. If you put a buffer like Una in between those, it'll change that relationship. And so I wanted to make sure that the insert loop not only switched Una off the input, but also switched Una off the output. So it really is just swapping the path with the fuzz pedal. Because if you're an enthusiast for that kind of circuit, those classic fuzz circuits, the way you drive after it, also has a big impact on the sound. Some people might like the sound of a buffer right after it. Some people might not. Most buffers that you're going to encounter later in your chain don't have as high input impedance as Yuna, and so they're going to react more like you're expecting. And so I wanted to just get Yuna totally out of the way when you want to go to that classic fuzz sound driving the rest of your pedal board. So Yuna being able to swap paths, like clean path to dirty path, like buffered um, high, like hi-fi path to fuzz path was really important to me. And I worked a lot on that circuit just so I could be sure that classic fuzz people are fine to use this with the pedal in the loop. That was one of the reasons I became friends with Chris because, you know, my product is designed to support products like his because having a really good clean path is really important. Having a really good fuzz path is important and I'm just building the clean path part. So I wanted to get one of his devices and make sure it worked with, um, what I was doing just to make sure that what I was saying was at least true enough that I felt good about saying it. You know, there's always, you can always debate things in audio cause everything is about feel. I wanted to make sure I at least like really listened to a lot of classic fuzz circuits in that place. Because in, when you're using unit to swap your fuzz pedal, your fuzz can kind of always be on. And then unit switch is switching between clean path fuzz path. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of like, I like to take all that stuff really seriously. I have a really fun time exploring it. You know, like, you know, if you have to edit some of this out, I'm not going to be offended because I know well, I'm
0: I'm not going to edit anything out because this is officially, <laughs> as, as I just butted in right now, that is officially the longest time none of us have spoken.
1: <laughs> There's a similar thing with the power supply on the inside. I had a really great fortune when I was working at the Village is that because the Village owns two Neve 88Rs, You know, I talked to one of their designers there, and he's like, in a lot of ways, you can do a lot more with a circuit, and you can get a lot more headroom, and a lot of things become easier, and the circuits become simpler if you have bipolar voltage. Plus minus 15 with zero in the middle will always sound better than plus 24 and zero, you know, at least according to this designer.
0: Um, Real quick, real quick, Jesse, I just want to bust in, in case anybody doesn't know what Neve is, um, think Sound City board, right?
1: Yeah. And pedal makers are starting to make stuff that's based on their circuitry too. So, a lot of people are probably getting more familiar with it now. But so, I was talking to this guy about it, and he was like, you know, all things being equal, like we have to build 1073s with plus 24 and zero because that's the way they originally were designed. But in a lot of ways, a plus minus circuit is much better because the bias is simpler and all these, you know, I don't want to get into too much of the deep tech stuff, but it's easier to build a good sounding circuit when you have bipolar voltage, especially if your plan is to use op amps. And so I wanted to use plus minus 15 inside the pedal. But, you know, (laughs) you guys will laugh at this. So originally I got a lunchbox supply, which for people that don't know, like those 500 series racks that you see, um, you know, that have audio modules in them, they usually come with an external power supply. um, And that that type of rig is called a lunchbox. And so the supply is called a lunchbox rig. Suffice to say, it's a big box, you know, maybe six inches or more by four inches or more um, has to be powered right to the wall. And it comes out on an XLR five pin cable. And so the first design for Yuna actually had a five pin XLR power input and required an external power supply. Um, and, uh, and I was like, this is great. Cause yeah, I can buy lunchbox supplies and they can power a lot of stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I sent one to my friend, Jason Lachlan, who's an amazing guitar player I've been friends with for a long time. And he said to me, when I, told, I said, I'm going to send you this thing I made, it's going to solve all your problems, you're going to love the way it sounds, it's got a cool external power supply, and he said, I'm going to stop you right there, dude. If it needs a special external power supply, I don't care how good it sounds. In fact, I don't even want to know if it sounds good, because I don't want to worry about having to take that on a gig. Because dealing with power on your pedal board yeah. is the pits and as soon as there's one pedal that needs a special supply you're either going to blow it up or blow something else up because you were like spilled a beer on it in the middle of a gig and had to pull wires out and then you plugged them all back in wrong and then everything's fried and so I took that to heart and I went back to the drawing board and this took me like six or eight months of design work but I basically designed a circuit where It's the normal DC jack in. So it's like the size DC jack that you see on all your pedals and also on your Wi-Fi router in your house and Mm -hmm. tons of
0: other gear. Nine volt style thing.
1: Yeah, Uh, except it takes seven and a half to 40 volts. Well, 35 volts to be safe. Seven and a half to 35 volts of AC or DC in either polarity. And it doesn't care and it doesn't affect the tone in any way because internally it just... Um, regulates it all and converts it to plus minus 15 at exactly the same amperage regardless of what you put into it. You know, at a certain point you're dumping some of it as heat. So I don't advise people to like go out and get a 35 volt supply (laughs) um, just to, although I did take a 35 volt supply and plug it into it and leave it plugged in for like a week and it's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. it gets warm, but not hot, but it does get warm because it's dumping a lot of it as heat. Um, But you know, I just made it so that you could plug whatever into it. And then when it came time to design the chassis, I just wrote in, I originally just wrote it in paint pen before I started doing using it as a marketing thing. I just wrote whatever on the box Mm -hmm. and that's why it takes whatever. And now that I've designed that circuit, I have that circuit and I put it in all my pedals so that, you know, you can like whatever you have laying around, just plug it in there. It'll be fine. Um, you know, if you, Oh, I only have an 18 volt output left on my brick. Okay. I don't care. Does sounds the same. Doesn't care. Oh, well now I got a pedal that uses 18 volts. So now I want to plug nine volts into it, but does it change the sound? No, Mm. it doesn't. It can't everything. It's been filtered and regulated so much at that point. And the plan, like it's planned to use as little as seven and a half or as much as 35 without changing the, the sound of the pedal at all. And then I can put that in any pedal now. So, um, you know, it's expensive. Like uh, it's, it's actually the most expensive part of the pedal to build is building that power supply. And it's requires expensive components and it's a lot more components than people would want to put inside a pedal. But it's like, it means you can plug whatever into it. And that was my design goal. And since I own the company, I don't have to <laughs> compete with anybody else telling me like, well, it needs to cost $4. And I'm like, it costs way more than that. Um, but, and I don't care because it's, right. it's my design. And if I don't, if i don't care how much it makes then it doesn't matter because you know as long as it makes back what you put into it you can keep making them and that's kind of the point there you go um, and also that's how that Neve stuff was designed that i like in a lot of classic audio gear you know it was designed like um, it only costs as much as it needs to cost to keep the lights on and every other cent of it is dumped into components and r&d and qc and things that mean that i can mail one to thailand and be confident that it's going to work after the guy throws it off the truck, you know, <laughs> and, and also making it kind of relatively friendly for DIYers um, to work on, you know, if somebody wanted to pop it open and change it, um, you know, Bradshaw could turn that thing into a, a gain pedal in 45 seconds. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Most, um, most people who are handy with circuits can do stuff like that to it. And if you want to do it to it, great. It's a great platform for that. I'm, you know, I'm super supportive of that because I think I look around my studio, I don't see anything stock, you know mm. what I mean? So I couldn't in good conscience, design something, you know, like I had put so much R and D and so much of my like, um, accumulated knowledge of all my life into this thing that I was really paranoid about putting it out there because I, you know, there's so much copying and cloning, especially in the pedal world of people who don't care about somebody else's R and D don't care about somebody else's, designs and you know don't care about anything other than like oh this is cool i'll make it cheap and then i'll sell them too um and so i got really nervous when i was originally putting it out and i was like i've put a lot of my life into this pedal um and a lot of my knowledge into this pedal and i'm really afraid of that and then i just kind of closed my eyes and i was like you're a guy who buys very little from the store and you get everything broken and secondhand. And when you do buy something from the store, the unboxing to me means I take it out of the chassis. You know what I mean? Like I buy a pedal. The first thing I do is pop the cover open and start taking it apart and like improving things that I think need to be improved or even just changing things to make it custom. Cause I want my stuff to be custom for me. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't really deny that to other people. Cause it would just be hypocritical at that point. You know, like I don't, I think that it's important that if you're going to like clone somebody's circuit, that you bring something new to the table, either the people who originally made it don't want to make it anymore, or there's something you've changed about the sound or the design, something that shows you care about it. You know, like somebody asked me to make something for them that was basically a clone of somebody else's design. And they were like, I think it'd be cool if you did this. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, but that's that other guy's design. They're like, yeah, but you could do it and you could call it the whatever. And it's like, So you just want me to put it in my box and put a different name on it and have it be somebody else's thing? It's just not exciting to me Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: at that point the game becomes how cool is your marketing? How cheap can you build it? And those things are not important to me at all. The things that are important to me, you can probably tell are like engineering and technology and really diving into what makes something sound good. Like what is it about the tiny bits of material science and the tiny bits of happenstance that make us love the sounds that we love? You know, I used to really love like when I was working with Steven because he would hear stuff that I didn't hear and it was my job to go and figure out where it was coming from. So we'd listen to two or three different microphones and he'd say, that one's brighter. And I would listen to it and I would go, I can't, I, my, his ears are better than mine. I can't really hear some of that really sizzly stuff. Um you know, that, that he can hear. And, but I worked for him. And so it was my job to, to take what he was saying as, as as truth and go look for it. And more often than not, I found it. And I would say, Oh, it's really interesting. It's like, you know, um, where you're hearing brightness is here and it's coming from this. And you look at the circuit and you say, well, all these circuits are supposed to be identical. So why does one of them sound better? Getting into the slalom of the material science, most designers call it the slalom, which is that like, um, every component is, um, that you buy has a percentage rating of how tight it needs to be before it's rejected. So like, um, you know, a hundred ohm resistor that's a 1% resistor needs to be 101 ohms or 99 ohms or somewhere in between. Most components you buy aren't 1%. Most components you buy are 10%. Or in the case of people who buy new old stock stuff, it's like 40%. And so they're all allowed to be a little different. So if you want to make 100 you know, of anything. So like, you know, I made over 300 units this year. I want all of them to be exactly the same. So what do you have to do? Like, where is it important that components be 1%? How much more does that cost you? Where is it okay to say, oh, a 10% cap is good here because, you know, the filtering, the power supply is so overdone that if I use a 20% 470, you know, it's okay because even at minus 20%, it's way more than it needs to be. But when the value affects the frequency response, you have to be a lot tighter. So using like one percent film caps and things like that is kind of expensive. But it's like in that high filter, you know, it's it's really specific. It needs to be really specific, and so you pay for the component and you know have a margarita because you did your job for the day. Like, Bingo. Um, there was a time in 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 history, especially in America, where audio was the sexy science of the day that everybody wanted to get into recording and recording technology and the technology of sound was incredible business for lots of reasons, you know, cultural and monetary from like the end of World War II to like the end of the nineties. So during that time, lots of people much smarter than me being paid much more money than me sat around and figured out what sounds good. And, you know, it's not rocket science anymore. People know it sounds good. It's just a matter of Can you do it given the limitations of whatever situation you're in? There's a reason we go back to classic designs for amplifiers and guitar pickups and things like that. It's because, like, well, they kind of sat around and got it right. And over the intervening years, people have tried everything else. Higher impedance coils, lower impedance coils, active coils, fully shielded, fully unshielded thicker wire, thinner wire, different kinds of lacquer, you know, they all have a slight impact on the sound and now we know what they are. So if you want to make something like that, you can just make it now. The only qualifications are, <laughs> do you have the stones to do it when it's expensive? <laughs> that's one of the things that's like, I understand that I'm going up again, that Una is going up against devices in some ways that are a lot less expensive, but that high impedance point is pretty critical. and. I put everything in there I could to make it sound as good as it possibly could. And, you know, call it a day job done, mm-hmm. you know, Miller time.
0: So anybody and, with a, 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 you know, a lot of our listeners who have quite a few pedals on their board who are pedal connoisseurs. Uh, they love the gear. This is, this is something that based on everything you told us and, uh, everything that I've researched before we had you on the show is like, this is kind of a, a need to have.
1: I mean, it'd be nice, uh, you know, it's like if there was only one way to skin the cat, somebody probably would have done it before I did. I think it's a compelling um, device Mm -hmm. and it works really well for the people who have it. I tried to build something with a sound that is compelling and with a build quality that I can stand behind. The second pedal that's coming out in January is called WAMP and it's a similar approach, but it's for the output of your board what pedals do we tend to have at the end of our chain? You know, mod pedals, reverb pedals, things like that. Those actually don't have great drive capability. You know, they might sound amazing, but running 20 feet of cable on the end of a course pedal or whatever, you know, or a delay pedal, they're not designed as line drivers. They probably have an output buffer of some kind, but it's not super high headroom and it's not designed to handle a load. As you start to load down a device, you tend to lose frequency response on both the high end and the low end. And so WAMP is kind of the the companion piece so that it's an output driver that's similar to UNA in some ways, but it'll make 30 dB a gain if you need it. Depending on how your board is structured, you could plug that into a power amp and not even need a preamp. You could use your, your pedal board as your preamp because this thing will put enough gain out to drive a power amp if you want so i mean i'm going like totally down a rabbit hole because i'm such a talkative <laughs> nerd but like that's i guess you were asking originally about where you're we looking around from for the designer. flashlight and so like 40 minutes later i think you get a pretty good idea of where i'm coming from
0: jesse i think i think one of if i may sum something up really quick here two yeah, things please. number one
1: I'm, uh, I'm dying out of here
0: <laughs> <laughs> any anybody that has uh not made it to work on time, missed their exit or run out of gas. <laughs> I think it's cool because you dumped a lot of stuff on us, but we're all just sitting here time. just going, yeah. And yeah. And <laughs> like, because this is all, I mean, for a lot of us, this is kind of newer things to hear, which is, kind, which is, which is rare in, in, uh in, you know, the guitar world. Yeah.
1: I'm pleased to like bring that type of conversation out to the world. Aside
0: from the fact that it sounds really great and where I think a lot of our listeners are going to care about this and and the pedals that you're talking about in the future, which is you clearly have a deep, deep passion for this. You have a deep rooted understanding of why you are doing this. You're not just doing it because you think it would be cool to have a thing. And that's something that I think that is one of the deciding factors is when somebody says they're weighing in their hand their, you know, their stack of bills to, to say, well, is this worth it? And mm-hmm. this is the kind of stuff that makes the stuff that you're making worth it. In my opinion, that's that's just my opinion, but that's what I think. No,
1: but, that's really nice of you to say. I hope that that's that that is the case. Well, Jesse, all this is
0: to say everybody that this is a serious pedal that you should really consider for your tone. If you got a big p- pedal board, if you got a lot of wires, if you just want better sound, if you just want something that's built by somebody who like seriously gives a crap, this is something you want to check out. We're going to go over to Jaredville right now. That's right. Yeah, thank you, Jared. And you what me. what's interesting is Jesse, you brought up a personality earlier, and I made up this Would You Rather before the show. Before I knew you were going to say this, and then Tony brought it back up. So this is going to be kind of fun.
3: So it's Would You Rather time, and Mm -hmm. what solidifies that is this little ditty, and it goes like this. Would you rather. So you're walking down the street. Did you skip? (laughs) And you see, and you see, and you see a flyer that says rock and roll auction, which reminds you that recently you received a letter in the mail stating you had a long lost uncle. Everybody's got one of those who left you a fair amount of cash, but not one of those, but it can only be spent on charity. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just so happens. This is a charity rock and roll auction. Oh, yeah. great. You can go and see that there are only two guitars up for auction. There's only mm-hmm. two, but both are famous mm-hmm. Explorer S guitars. So, would you rather choose U2's The Edge <laughs> mm-hmm. Gibson Explorer or <laughs> Cheap Tricks Rick Nielsen's Hammer Checkerboard Standard Explorer style body? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Which one do you do? So Tony's gonna go, and then uh, and then uh, we'll hear from Jared, and then you Jesse, and then I'll wrap it up. Okay. Tony, Rick Nielsen, Checkerboard Hamer. you know I think
2: they're both very cool guitars, very famous guitars. But uh, you know I, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan from
3: way back when, yeah. and
2: uh, you know that that is just a iconic guitar. Truly and and uh, yeah i mean it 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 looks a little worse for wear these days i saw some fairly recent pictures it's it's pretty pretty rough around the edges now yeah. but it's still very very cool
3: cool all right jared so um i'm going to go with the cheap trick rick Nielsen, uh because just i'm just going to choose it this time because i i was a uh, um a bricklayer at one time we were doing the, the Ohio Theater in Sandusky, Ohio, and the night before was a Cheap Trick concert, and where we were allowed to use the restroom and take breaks, that's where Cheap Trick was before the show. So they had all this, like, pot. there was no alcohol in the in the um, dressing room where they where they were there at. It was just all like Diet Coke and Fago Pop, and you know, Waters. <laughs> where is and- this going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the. I found their their uh, playlist. They left some playlists in there, cool. so I those. That's cool. So that's why I'm going to go with the well, old that's rad because of that
1: memory right there.
0: Nice, awesome. Okay, now all right.
1: Short version. Yes, I'll try to talk quickly. Um, I would first like to say that Cheap Trick is one of the greatest rock and roll bands to ever exist, and that they're really, really important to me personally because they rock in a very specific way that it's important to me and some people I care about. And so this is in no way trying to diminish the importance of cheap trick at all, but I'm going to choose the edge explorer. And here's why I was a teenager in the nineties when YouTube two was like, had its least cachet in the past, you know, 15, 20 years, right. They were super important in the eighties to a lot of people. And then, you know, by the nineties, they're doing that kind of like other sort of stuff. And kids like me, liked dinosaur junior and pixies and, you know, Soundgarden stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, you um, two couldn't have been further from what I cared about as a teenager, but I had this girlfriend in the nineties who loved you too. And I used to make fun of her for it. Sometimes so I was like, Oh, you two is so corny and blah, 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 blah. And she really set me straight on it. And she was like, do yourself a favor and put on the first, you know, three or so U2 records, you know, definitely um, Joshua Tree, definitely Unforgettable Fire. Mm -hmm. Just put those records on, let them kind of wash over you. Really take in all the different people and all the different sounds. I mean, I'm a huge Lan nerd. I'm a huge Brian Eno fan. I love the way U2 sounds, you know, after really allowing yourself to experience those records. And then try to find something before you 2 that sounds anything even remotely like it. And then try to find something after U2 that was not changed by it. You know, the way all of us interpret, you know, big, um, epic, kind of emotional rock and roll was forever changed by U2. I mean, stadium rock before U2 was very much different. Mm-hmm. And then stadium rock after U2 was very much different. And there's real power in that music. And also having gotten a chance to work with some of their crew, you know, I didn't get to meet any of the guys in the band, but I got to work with their crew really closely. And you could tell like they they really care about how things sound. So All I'm right. going to say that that's, that's the M- shortest I can do. Money.
0: That's a great reason. What about you, Tad? U2 is important to me early on, but I have to go with the checker because of the iconic nature of that guitar. It's extra, extra special in the guitar world. Uh, there is no other like that one. And I think that is one of the reasons. And one of the first songs that uh, my daughter's like really queued up on, <laughs> believe it or not, was Southern Girls. <laughs> I just, oh, I love that song. And and then they're like, we want to hear more of this band. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So that was kind of cool. Anyhow, uh, that was a super fun one. Thanks, Todd. Um, Jared, thank you for reading that with such emblazoned passion. And uh, I I appreciate that. We need to thank a few people really quick. And then we'll be outskies. Tony Baloney? At this point in the
2: show, we have to thank a Special group of people are executive producers. You might be asking, what is an executive producer? Well, go over to patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs and uh, check out a couple of different levels in which you can be a sponsor, a patron of this very podcast. There's tons of great thank you gifts and prizes, and but there's a special group, the executive producers. They get all that great stuff, but there's one more thing.
3: Does Jared know what that is? Yes, I do. It, it, the awesomest thing is you have your name read on the thing, just like Tony Baloney's going to do right now. Special thanks to Tom Barazin, Martin Cliff,
2: John Daly, Chris Carney, Darren Gregory, Doug Crist, Michael Van Zant, Ken Sayers, Brian Robison, Michael Senchuk, Stefan Lamb, Johnny Knowles, Anthony Lanthrop, John Anglin, Tyler Bray. Brad Partridge, Chris Heidel, John Esterley, Doug Gann, uh, Justin Jones, Brett Alexander, James White, Matt Hart, Liam Martin, James Pennington, Richard Kendall, Ty Garman, John Williams, Michael <laughs> Lucio, John Jackson, Jason Roush, David Rando. That's it. Is that it? Oh, no, it's some great, great people. That's not it. That's not oh, it. Wow. No, because there's a special, the, the, the high upper echelon executive producers, our grand poobahs, if Top you of will. the penthouse. Yes. In addition to all that great stuff and many, many other thank you gifts, get a very special fez that they must wear while listening to the podcast. Is that true, Todd? That is true. Okay. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to these grand poobahs, Mr. Jonathan Jerusik, Corey Nigro, David Kaminga. Cody Lane, Cody Foster, Sean S., S. (sighs) Tommy Manasco, Mark Garten, Adam Johnson, Steve Keyes, and Tim Nowak.
0: Thank you, guys. Holy moly. Man, we got a lot of fantastic supporters. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you reading every single one of those names off with equaled passion and fervor. It's the passion and fervor night. Yes. Uh, so Jesse, where can people go to get this these things that you make?
1: Um I'll I'll tell you something, uh, which is that normally you can go to believableaudio.com and buy them direct from me. Um, but a lot of your local um, dealers were kind enough to like buy up all the inventory I had before the holidays. And so I turned off direct sales to encourage people to like support local guitar stores, um, and pedal retailers while, um, you know, during the the holidays, especially cause it was such a tough year, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people and, you know, every little bit helps. And since, um, They picked it up from me and that's really helpful to me. I want to make sure I kind of spread the love a little bit and encourage everybody like around the holidays, find a local pedal retailer. You can find me on Instagram at 29 pedals. If you're having trouble locating one locally um, and I'll try to connect you with a dealer who has one. And then after the holidays are over, direct sales are going to be back on. You can buy one direct from me if you'd like, or from your um, preferred pedal dealer uh both options will be available in the future um again i just i just turned off the direct sales for a bit because i really wanted to make sure that um you know the the smaller pedal dealers who you know really are like where a lot of us as kids you know discovered a lot of these cool things you Mm -hmm. know the first places i saw cool vintage gear was westchester music outside of philadelphia and you know that's a small store and they're having a hard time, not them particularly, but small stores are having a hard time with foot traffic this year. So um, I wanted just to make sure that anything I can do to help them, I do. Uh, and then, you know, once the holidays are over, I'll turn direct sales back on. And if you'd prefer to buy one direct from me, then um, then you can. Awesome. Sounds
0: and uh, let's see, Tony Baloney.
2: Head over to pickguardian.com. You can check out some of the stuff that I do, some of the things I have available For sale, but by and large, most of what I do is custom work. So just shoot me an email. Tell me what you need, what you want to do, what materials, all the fun stuff. I will take care of you personally.
1: I actually have some stuff um, to send you. I'm really excited about it. I was waiting. I was going to order it a few weeks ago, and I was like, I'm going to wait till I talk to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Drop drop some requests. I got some cool stuff I need help with. Nice. Because I'm I'm terrible with a router. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I really need some help
0: jared how about yourself
1: why
3: yes if anybody needs any pickups any old looking new pickups or vice versa or whatever uh go to brandonwoundpickups.com and look over my stuff i have on on the website and if there's something there that you want to try out if you want to get really technical and weird and really far down the rabbit hole that's what i do that's my speciality so uh email me Uh message me on Instagram, Brandon Want pickups, Facebook, whatever you're on. And, uh, y- you can get a hold of me. Come on,
0: Jared. I think you should do like, like those Japanese toys where you don't know what's inside. And just like, as you're cleaning your basement, just make a bunch of like little bags full of who knows what's in it and sell those. Ah, uh, the mystery box. <laughs> That'd be fantastic.
3: You have enough. I have enough, like scrap, whatever's playing around. I did think about making like a, a shop cleaning pickup set, you know, this oh, is dude, I would that.
1: buy that in a second. The, like that's exactly the kind of nerd stuff. I let's like this guy had some bobbins laying around and he had whatever kind of wire and he spliced it in the middle and nobody's ever going to be able to figure out what he did. And it sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. Totally do that. Like that.
1: That's what we're going
0: to do. You can send me a, an email, Todd at theguitarnobs.com. You can also DM me on, and I will, on behalf of all the other ones, all the other fellas uh, at Guitar Knobs, we'd love to hear your would-you-rathers and what's just going on with you generally in your guitar world, what you love, what you hate about the show, etc., cetera, et cetera, We want to give a humongous thanks to, Jesse from Twenty Nine Petals oh, for man, sharing so much tonight. That was fantastic. Let me thank
1: you guys for listening to because most people would have left. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and-
0: once <laughs> <laughs> he, he well he, you know he did I have to come, pee
1: i was hoping we would have another segment where we got to um you know talk about the stuff that you guys are doing because i have questions for tony i have pick guards i need i have questions for jared i'd love to like get some pickups wound i i think there should be a special episode of the show where guests get to come back and just talk to the to those guys about what they're doing because that's not really a bad idea
0: know, i like that. i really would
1: love to i would love to be on to just it you know have time asking them about their stuff. I, I like it. it.
3: Love it. I love it.
0: All yeah. right, everybody. We'll have a fantastic guitar week. And subscribe. Yeah. What do you sit on a tree and crap through feathers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it doesn't matter.
0: Is that a staple gun?
1: Yeah, because I just love that there's a bit of truth hidden under all their madness.
0: Hello. Hello? Yeah. Welcome to the Nerdcast, Tony. Man, I feel so stupid. <laughs>
1: okay. You know, um like Jared said, it's probably never going to be 100% effective. But
0: no. <laughs> well, I...
1: like yeah, I would kind of like to have a Faraday suit. Idiot, man. Jeez. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a big interrupter. I'm because I get excited to.
0: Talk oh, anymore. we might have an interrupt off because Jared is the champion.
1: Oh well, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not very competitive, so, so I would. I, just, I would I just give see, up. See? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even <laughs> oh, have
3: yeah. to try to interrupt. I yeah. just
1: <laughs> I'll talk to. I mean, I'll talk about this stuff forever. Twenty-nine thirty, whatever it takes. I'd like to build a proper, full Faraday cage in my house, just mm-hmm. big enough for like a chair. Tony back yet?: Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Exactly. Well, that's
0: it for these knobs. Please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward/theguitarknobs. Visit our website at theGuitarKnobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure to check out our Instagram, at Guitar Knobs. Catch you next time.